Good afternoon and welcome to the Serious Security Symposium Seminar, Serious Security Seminar from Purdue University. Our speaker today is Dr. Stephen Elliott, the director of Purdue's International Center for Biometrics Research. Professor Elliott. Thanks, Joe. Hello, everyone. Today I'm going to be talking a little bit about testing and evaluation. Um, and I want to start off with a, a, a couple of um, thoughts, basically. I gave a presentation, or at least the first couple of slides, I gave a presentation at NIST at the uh, Biometric Working Group on uh, performance. And uh, one of the things that um, the panel was charged with doing was, what are the gaps um, related to biometric testing? And so what I wanted to do today was to give you an overview of the different types of testing and then kind of the complexities and challenges that we have in biometric testing um, today with respect to mobile devices uh, and the like, uh, and e-border gates, uh, the two cases that I'm going to take a look at today. So traditional biometric testing, there's a, there's a couple of different ways of looking at it, but the traditional way is to look at uh, algorithm testing. Um, we have good established metrics for that. We understand what algorithm testing is. Um, we normally have a training set of faces or fingers, and uh, we design an algorithm, and we got some uh, performance metrics that we're looking at. Um, and uh, you can just do a quick Google search on Scholar and find lots and lots of reports about academics doing algorithm testing. Operational testing is harder to do because we need to gain access to those environments in which the operational testing is occurring. And that's one of the challenges that we have because you can't just walk into an airport and conduct tests at a border gate, for example. It's a lot more complex. Um, and um, as a result, there's uh, lots of other things that are going on within a, a test methodology um, and the protocols that we have to write to take into account uh, these. So I'm going to give you kind of some overviews of what we're doing in, in the center here uh, to answer the second question without walking into a, uh, an airport. So um, biometrics, if you're not familiar with that, is, is uh, the automatic um, classification of your features uh, biometric traits such as fingerprint, face, iris, voice, signature, there's lots of them. Um, and what we're trying to do in testing and evaluation is to figure out how a population works. So we take uh, all of you guys in the, in the room, we would enroll you, and then we would match against you and other people. So uh, you two, we would enroll you, and then we would match against yourself. That would be a genuine score. We'd match against him, that would be an imposter score. And hopefully you wouldn't be the same. We would, we would get some discrimination. And so what we're trying to do in testing and evaluation is to give people a good idea of, of um, the performance of the systems. But what we don't understand really is something more fundamental is who or what are causing the errors. And so as we're looking at uh, more complicated systems, there are a lot of other things that are being drawn into this environment that could create errors that aren't necessarily attributed to the actual biometric features itself. And so that's what we're trying to look at uh, within our testing. So <coughs> my conclusion to this, this forum was um, none of these things are probably missing, but they're really hard to do. And when they're hard to do, they're expensive to do, and not a lot of people want to do them. So what we want to take a look at today is what we're doing to, uh, to try and fix those problems. We've, we've been uh, looking at uh, the individual contribution to error on performance. So if we have um, a whole set of individuals in here, say, for example, and 
um, we get a series of curves, typically receiver operating characteristic curves or DET curves. It's a trade-off curve, basically, between false accept rate and false reject rate. I'll get, a, I'll get a curve. What it doesn't say to me is who in the room is contributing most of that error into this, into this system. So what we want to do um, with respect to our testing is to try and figure out what is the individual contribution to error on performance. Um, and also, there are some other papers, and in fact, this is obviously of interest, is um, what kind of metadata are out there and the contribution of these variables, um, and uh, how does that impact performance. So I'm going to use this phone to take a picture of myself, and I enroll in here. Is this a well-controlled environment? What, what kind of challenges would you have with uh, this environment if I was to take uh, a picture of myself in this environment? Yeah. The lighting, the shadows, etc. Right. Exactly. So there's lots of things we would have to think about, um, and and uh, obviously I got to line it up. I got to take a picture of myself. Pose, orientation are also a challenge. Now something else that's also interesting is if we went outside in about a month's time, it's probably going to be dark or close to dark. That's going to be a problem as well because I've got my template is stored in in okay light and I want to go outside and verify and it's not very good light or there might be uh, insufficient light or it might, the flash might come on. So um, when we put it in kind of an operational environment, we call that wild testing, you get a lot more um, information from the subject and your, your curves will change. So what we're trying to do with looking at individual performance and also looking at the meta-analysis of performance is to give people guidance in how the system will perform if it's in this kind of environment or if it's in an environment outside where you're trying to take a picture of yourself um, at night in your house or at the bars, right? And if you're at the bars, then someone else might take a picture for you and it might all go horribly wrong. So these are the things that we want to be uh, cognizant of because as biometrics are being put on these devices, this is obviously of interest to uh, the app developers because um, it needs to work in all of these other environments. Now, when we started to test, um, 14 years ago, uh, it was a very simple operation. Well, it wasn't simple back then. It was complicated for us, but if we look back on it, we had it pretty easy. It was simply just putting a finger on a fingerprint sensor or taking a picture or in interacting with an iris camera. Um, nowadays, of course, it becomes um, a lot more complicated. Um, people are used to using particular devices. Um, we're trying to get people to remember them. Uh, how many people have swapped operating systems on your cell phones? Okay, one. All right, so two. All right, so not many. Why did you not swap? I mean, I'm sure there's a compelling reason, right? Have you thought about swapping? No? What do you have? What operating system? Samsung. Android? Okay. And you haven't thought about going over to the Apple side of existence? <laughs> Good. All right. So, okay. So, uh, how many people have iPhones? Have you ever thought about going over? You did. What stopped you? All my data is on this. Okay. It would be a bit tough to migrate. Okay. So, what? Which operating system are you thinking of going to? Android. Okay. So we have like these silos of ecosystems, right? So where people are used to using the phones. So if we're developing an app, or we get people in here to for us to test an app, we need to make sure now that we're testing on your phone or close to your phone so you know how to use the phone so now we're not trying to 
have you learn a different operating system. So that adds all kinds of complexities to it. People's flavors of Android are slightly different. People's customizations of the phones are different. And this adds a lot more complexity into the testing that we just didn't have uh, 14 years ago. So trying to uh, figure out how people uh, use the devices um, and whether we can get good training um, and a consistent message across them. Sometimes we look at interoperability, so the performance of one phone against another phone or one fingerprint sensor against another fingerprint sensor and people bring some prior knowledge to them every so often. How many people here come through uh, the border and have to go through fingerprinting to come in and out of the US? Alright, so you're all used to using the cross-match device, the green thing that you just plunk your fingers down. If they were to swap that out, you would probably retain the knowledge of the cross-match device and maybe have to be retrained by the immigration officer or something along those lines. But because you're used to using those um, um, devices, how many have, has anyone uh, used the kiosks, the global entry kiosks? Okay, so you can translate that knowledge from the, the border area to the kiosk and we don't really have to train you that much. It should be intuitive. So, again, um, those are gaps because Again, we don't really gain access to uh, those kinds of environments. Accessibility. Um, there are lots of people that, um, that may know people. I put that in explanation marks because I'm probably a big culprit for the students in my lab will always say I break stuff. That have problems in interacting with biometric systems. Um, you might not have been able to log on on your phone, for example. Or you may have had challenges with uh, the fingerprint sensors may say, you know, take something again or, or whatever. And um, one of the things that I think the biometric community hasn't um, done very well is deal with the issues of accessibility and, and uh, usability, um, especially with respect to hearing and sight issues. And we're doing some work in, in our center on looking at that. That's a, that's a big area um, of interest for a lot of students that come through. And human factors. Um, are performance results different in an operational environment than those collected in a lab? And, Yes, they are, but how can we collect data that's appropriate to uh, that type of environment? So these are the things we're going to be taking a look at with respect to, to the gaps in biometric testing. The other thing that we've also got to deal with is whether the error is also subject-centric. So um, we, when we do testing and evaluation, we uh, advertise for people to come into our lab uh, downstairs in the basement of Young. So if you're ever down there, come swing by. And um, we do a number of tests each year. We've just completed a voice recognition test um, on cell phones. In about a couple of weeks' time, we'll be starting a face recognition test. Um, we also collect data for students to work on their projects as well. So we have a number of uh, projects going on currently um, collecting data or, or maybe collecting data, depending on how the semester goes. can't believe it's October already. Um, and so... Uh, the challenges sometimes are not necessarily the subject themselves. It could be the test administrator maybe giving some, um, maybe they're in there all day and they're getting bored after the, you know, 13th person in there and, and they may just click a button or make a mistake or call a left index or right index by accident. And so um, a, a focus on our research as well has to be in, uh, to be the role of the operator as well and also whether the device has any impacts in it as well. So I think filling those gaps are, are a work in progress um, because we find today that um, devices are more complex. Um, there's a variety of form factors, deployments, and uh, appliances, applications. 
Um, so different cell phones, different sizes, border gates, they're not all the same. That would be really nice if they were kind of consistent across the globe. But um, I've gone through several border gates uh, on my travels and they're all slightly different. I, I, can, I, I think I can get how to use them, but, but there's just slightly different quirks. Um, so I have to think a little bit every so often. And you know, when you've come off a long flight, the thinking quotient of the brain is not exactly great. Um, and you're tired and, and maybe a, a little worn out. Um, sometimes if we're going to put a, a device in the hands of customers, and from customers I mean the general public, then that, that opens a whole new avenue of testing that is complicated. Um, a couple of my students this semester are looking at biometrics and the barriers to deploying biometrics in a payment system in retail. Um, and they've tried retail before in biometrics, just before about 2000, 2001, there was a, um, a, a, a company that was interested in making your fingerprint basically a, a, a Visa card-like thing. And you would put your fingerprint down and the retailer would, would put the devices in. And um, the business model was a reduction in the insurance costs for fraud and everything else like that. It made a lot of sense. Um, but there's a barrier to entry from retailers that, that seems to be fairly insurmountable. Um, you see, however, retailers use it on a, on a daily basis on their, on their staff-facing side. So you'll see um, an example is at Kentucky Fried over on the west side. They have fingerprints right by um, their point of sales for their employees to log on to the point of sale system. So they see that, but they don't have it available for us to make a purchase there on, on a quick pace scenario. So there is some inroads to that. But as soon as you start pushing it out to customers, it's very difficult to do. Um, how many people here have a biometric on their device? Okay, hands up higher because I get a count. So one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Is this all Apple? No, what, you, oh, you got Android, right? Um, which biometric is it? Thumbprint, yep. Yep, all fingerprint. Anyone doing something different? Yeah, okay. All right, so how many of those use it on a regular basis? Okay, so one hand. Well, two. Well done, Ryan. All right, you get the A today. Um, so two of out of nine. Yikes. We just might as well pack up and go, right? Um, so this is a challenge when we start. Why don't you use it? Um, I did it first because I thought it was cool, okay. and then it became a huge pain in the butt. Okay. Every time I wanted to do, I had to you swipe it across this way, and it just was a pain. Okay. So what did you revert back to? Uh, just pattern. Okay. So you pattern. Okay. So that's that's the problem, and that's the problem that we're trying to figure out in the lab um, when we test a lot of these apps that that come in for for testing and evaluation. Is sure every you know nine out of what twenty. 20 or 30 people in this class have it, and two, use it on a regular basis. That's not a good percentage rate, all right? So we want to figure out why. Well, yes, it's a, it's a pain. So, so now we have to figure out, is it, um, is it you that can't use it? No disrespect, right? Um, is it a feature of your characteristics of your finger, or is it the usability of it, or is it awkward, or, I, you know, or is it more of a fundamental I don't like it? Well, I don't think it's a fundamental I don't like it because you tried it, all right? So I think it's more of there's something going on with the, the software or the user. And that's what we're trying to, trying to fix. Because they think, well, I don't know. How many people think biometrics on a phone is a good idea for security? Oh, God, please, hands up. 
All right, it's a different group of people that actually have it on their phones. All right, that's weird. All right, so, yeah, so the jury in this room is, is out. All right, so you've got to convince the people to use it, and it's got to work. Um, for those of you that don't use it, do you get, did you have the same issues as this gentleman here did with it? Yeah. I want to be able to use my phone with one hand, and okay. I couldn't. I had to hold it in one and use my other hand to swipe it with, and okay. so that was not user-friendly for me. When you, when you did use it, did it work? For the most part, yes. There okay. were times when I had to swipe two or three times. Okay. But so it, it worked for you essentially, but it didn't work in the form factor of the usability that you would wish it to operate yes. in. Okay. Yeah, anyone else? Yeah. I think it's not safe. You what? I think it's not safe enough to use it like, I can use, can use your mic, please? I think it's not safe enough because I can use maybe a picture from myself when I have this face thing and hold it for the camera and the Android phone says, oh, okay, you are the person what I was searching for and you're in the phone and I think that's a, a no way thing, you know what I mean? Okay, yeah, so um, you're worried about spoofing attacks, okay? Um, anyone else use it and have not used it anymore? Yes? Uh, it's not on my phone but on my laptop. Okay. Uh, I then included an extended keyboard, a wireless keyboard, so my keyboard is kind of far away from my laptop, so okay. I, I stopped using Okay, that. so again, convenience? Yeah. Okay. When you did use it, did it work? Yeah, it works well, it's, okay. uh, uh, but uh, I'm okay typing my password then going my finger up onto my laptop and doing it each time. Okay, fine. Yeah. It suspicious that it would work well with any finger from anyone's hand, but I don't know that. Sorry, thank you. Oh, it's just the mic thing. Yeah. So, so okay, so you've got a, an old, old style, and um, did it work for you when you did use it? Yes, it did. Okay. So you see, this is the problem that we have, okay? We have a problem where we've got maybe one half of the class doesn't like it, the other, the other half of the class does like it, maybe a different group of halves um, would, would use it, and then the majority of people have tried and it and it doesn't work as well. This is from from my perspective, this is a this is a failure of the industry and that's why a lot of people come to us to try and figure this stuff out. Because um, there are so many challenges. One of the challenges that we have now is not only is it in the hands of more customers and um, you know in some cases, Apple, for example, does a very good job of, of highlighting biometrics because they, they put it on their device and then all of a sudden everyone, everyone is, is all over it. Um, and, and some of the applications there, such as the pay, look pretty cool. But um, it's, it's a bit like when you order something from Amazon and then UPS doesn't deliver it on time. There's, there's a shifting of blame on, on the sensors. And so this is really what we're trying to, trying to work on here. Um, you guys are getting more demanding which is a, obviously a, an interesting challenge. I mean, some people, when you're talking about spoofing, that is definitely out there and, and uh, something that the industry needs to, needs to pay attention to. Usability is something that the industry needs to pay attention to. One of the challenges is that the development life cycle of these things is very short. And so you know, we've got to get it to market. Um, and uh, sometimes you don't control that ecosystem. If you're an app developer, you don't really have much of a say on what the, these device manufacturers put on their phones. So, you know, for us, that's the exciting bit of it because we get lots of new apps coming through on a fairly regular basis. On the downside of that is um, we've still got to try and do the work in progress of preventing some of these usability issues. So I'm going to give you some examples today of uh, these complexities. I'm looking at some hybrid testing later on. 
we're going to show you an example of an e-gate, a border gate, um, and uh, provide you with some input to some of the upcoming tests. So I want to take a step back and just kind of give you a refresher on, on biometrics as it stands. So um, we've got some concepts here that we can kind of wrap our heads around. Biometrics is the identification of people typically. All right, um, and as we move around, there's some need to identify us a little bit more. Or, you know, when I cross a border, I carry my passport, I'll get identified there. Um, but some cases, you know, out of sheer convenience, I would like to have a, maybe a different way of being identified. Um, how many of you have traveled and uh, forgot to inform your bank that you were going somewhere and the bank then decided that you shouldn't have the privilege of making a purchase, right? <laughs> Okay, we've all been there, and then you've got to scramble to call them and tell them, I'm, you know, I'm sorry, I should have told you it won't happen again, and then it does on the next trip. Um, but you've got to, typically that transaction is calling someone, all right? And um, if I'm around the other side of the world, and my credit union isn't awake during those calling hours, then it becomes a little bit often, it's sometimes embarrassing when you can't make a transaction. So, of course, we have these phones, so, and I have a biometric, so why can't I start to think about different mechanisms of interacting with my bank, credit union, financial institution to identify me as I'm moving around? Um, and of course, uh, for those of you that have traveled internationally, one of the, probably the worst things is getting off that plane and walking into that immigration hall and looking for you know, a fairly long wait. I, was, I flew to Montreal the other week. It wasn't a very long flight. I spent more time in the immigration hall than I did in the air. All right, and uh, that's just kind of a soul-destroying thing when you come down the escalator and you just see tons of people in there, and you're like, "Oh, okay, I'm in for the long haul." Um, and so there is a there are options, right? There's uh, Global Entry or Nexus for the Canadians, and and so forth, which are great systems. Encourage you to participate in in these things, and it really does speed your process through. Um, how many people have flown in and out of Heathrow, for example? Okay, the world's favorite airport. Probably not, right? Um, I can go through Heathrow in about five, ten minutes. Oh, I got some attention. All right, the laptops went down, <laughs> faces came up. All right, how do you think I do that? Well, I got an e-border gate. I got an e-passport. I go through the e-border gate. I don't interact with an immigration officer. Straight through, perfect. Assuming I don't have bags. All right. That's a great way. It reduces a lot of stress from, from that Heathrow experience, right? Coming back into the U.S., some global entry, I can just miss that line, right? And I can, you know, then everyone else can catch up with me while I'm waiting for my bags and then jump the line again through customs. But it reduces, if I've got no bags, it reduces that stress level, especially if I've got a really tight connection. Because everyone knows then once you come through immigration and customs, you've got to get re-cleared. And that sometimes is a long line too. It's, it's an unknown. You don't know what it's going to be like when you're in the plane, when you land. It could be perfect and it could be awful. So that biometrics component gives me a pretty good idea of how long it's going to take. I can probably get through that immigration line in five or ten minutes if I'm not carrying any bags. Then I go straight through to clearance and maybe I can make my two-hour connection flight. So these are the things that I think are, are valuable to... Uh, to biometrics. So um, automated recognition, uh, automated is the key word here, on your behavioral or biological characteristics. The challenge now, and it's a good challenge, is that biometrics appear in such a wide variety of use case applications. 
from the border control scenario to uh, logging on your phone and pretty much everything in between if you um, you know some examples here in town uh, Pepe's has uh, fingerprint authentication for its servers KFC has it um, we used to have a t-shirt shop here that had hand geometry for access control the rec uh, the athletic facilities have hand geometry um, the tanning salon has fingerprint AT, uh, fingerprint uh, logins. PEFQ was one of the first credit unions to have fingerprint ATMs back in 2000, a long time ago. Um, don't have them anymore, but um, you have such a wide variety of different applications in this town, and then you expand it across. So the industry is there. It's, it's growing, but we still need to pay attention to uh, some of the issues. I've spoken a little bit about U.S. Visit Global Entry and and Apple's fingerprint sensors, for example. Um, but these are just two very different examples of, of how um, biometrics are deployed. So the challenge is, how do you evaluate these? Because obviously an evaluation for a border control gate will not be the same as an evaluation for the iPhone's uh, touch sensor. And how do you compare, if you're going to deploy biometrics, which report do you do you care about how do you design a test to meet those requirements? It's, it's getting fairly complicated to do that. And so uh, these uh, are two very different scenarios. And at the moment, a lot of the testing and evaluation will be to just look at those generic trade-off curves. And that's really not what we're involved with here at Purdue, is we want to take a different look at testing it. So we've been doing biometric testing, like I said, for over 14 years, as, as Joel said. Um, we started off as a lab um, and then uh, grew into a center over time. Um, and typically companies want to test and evaluate products. Um, that's our main um, uh, work at the moment and main research. And a lot of that is obviously on um, mobile apps and, and mobile devices. Anyone know what this modality is? Have a guess. Retina? Nope, close. Iris. Now what year was this launched? Two thousand, two thousand one. Huh? So the laptop gave it away, huh? I should have photoshopped that I painted it. I'm not Photoshop capable. Alright? But yes, um, yeah, you can see the disk drive in there now. Yeah, nice call. <laughs> All right. Um, so you can see that picture there, 2001. So iris recognition on a mobile device is not new. All right. It's been around. The form factor is a little weird. Um, it's, we tested this, actually. We, this was one of our first grants that we got to test um, back in 2000, 2001 when we, uh, when we launched the, the lab. Um, and... They didn't do a bad job, actually, of looking at some of the issues. And the biggest issue was this distance thing between the, the face and the eyes, uh, and the camera, sorry. We get the same thing now when you want to take a picture of yourself, right? So there are some parallels to the testing and evaluations that we used to do um, back in 2001. And so we've tested on, on cell phones and mobile devices, iris, eye vein, the, the veins in the, in the white of your eye, the sclera, um, voice recognition, obviously that seems to be fairly um, uh, common, but we've only tested voice twice now in the last 14 years. Um, signature face, palm recognition, where you would take a picture of your palm like this, 
Um, we're looking at the features there. And then obviously we can layer that to two-factor authentication and the like, all since 2001. It's quite interesting, really, that the, that the sensors where we um, are typically always dealing with keystroke dynamics and voice, we don't do a lot of testing on. And in fact, it's a shame, really, because we could do keystroke dynamics on our keyboards pretty much all the time if we wanted to. So it's very interesting to see how the market has developed over these 10 years and seeing how products have waxed and waned and, and modalities uh, uh, you know, peaks and troughs, and I think we've seen well, most of the modalities now hit a high and then hit a low as new ones come in and the old ones go out and then they come back in again. Um, so again, um, mobile biometric testing isn't, isn't a new field, it's just again it's now becoming more pervasive that people are doing a lot more of it. So something to consider here, why are we going to do some testing? So when we, got asked to do a, when we get asked to do tests, um, we want to really understand what is it, what is it you're going to ask us to do, right? Is it purely a performance test? Speak into this, take a picture of yourself, whatever it is. Or is it to look at some other factors, such as the usability issues that um, we just highlighted earlier? So it could be performance, it could be usability, it could be throughput. How do you calculate throughput, for example, of a border gate? When does that process start? When does that process end? How many gates do I need to put in an airport, for example? Um, and understand whether there's a difference between different populations, different ages, genders, and the like. So again, if we take the, the example of the phone versus the border gate, what do you think we're interested in in testing? If, I come, if someone comes to me and wants to test a phone, what kind of things do you think they're interested in, in finding out from us? Yeah whether it might negatively affect sales or usability. Okay, so some kind of usability issue. Um, sales of what, the phone or um, what are you talking about there? Well, usability impacting sales, if, if it makes it really awkward or makes oh, you look yep. stupid or... Yep, yep. So some feedback that you get from the device or something like that, yeah. They could be asking us to do that. Yes, what else? Yeah, very much so, right? Border is a fairly okay environment, it's fixed. And again, the cell phone, we could look at different environments, right? What happens to the performance at night, during the day, and everything else. And we just, we just done a, uh, a, a wild test not so long ago where people used their phones and we sent them a transaction um, every day. And then they did these transactions wherever they wanted to, as long as they weren't doing anything else, like driving or anything else like that, so they'd be safe and, and, and secure. But um, they took a picture, wherever they were at, they would typically take a picture. And we got lots of great photographs of completely different environments in different locations um, with different, sometimes down here, sometimes up here, very different angles. And um, that's interesting and exciting for us because we get some data to, to try and give best practice and guidance to, to then work on the usability. So how do you improve these face captures or the palm captures or whatever it is? Um, from the border gate, what are we interested in? Does anyone know? What would be, if you were going to get us to do a test, what kind of things would you be interested in with a border gate? Integrity. Integrity of the system? Yep. Very much so, right? What else? Accuracy. Accuracy, right? You don't want to let the wrong person in. Okay. What else? Performance. Performance. 
reliability. So the other thing that we've got to look at as well is throughput on all of that. You don't want to have people stuck in that. Well, now there's your trade-off, right? You want to get excellent through, you know, excellent throughput, maybe not as good performance, or do you want high performance and not as good throughput? These are all kind of operational challenges that you get as well. So can we layer the biometric plus the, the document and everything else on that? So again, this is where it becomes quite complicated because now we're seeing use cases where um, we're working in different um, scenarios. Now, if we're going to do a national ID scheme where some countries are, we have to enroll everybody. And that's a non-trivial exercise as well because, you know, just imagine enrolling everybody in... Um, in an identity management system, that's that's a lot of work to be done. All right, and we see some countries doing that. India, for example, is a is a com country right now uh, that is enrolling people into their their ID systems, um, and that's a huge task, very logistically complex, um, and of of course pretty interesting to watch actually. So understanding um, the test, understanding the problem is is key to developing a test protocol. Um, tests are expensive and time-consuming. So you want to make sure you collect the data, collect it right first time, collect it accurately, and also within a budget. So um, there's, there's lots of things that are underlying. We normally discuss with our groups um, different aspects, and in that comes up uh, some different options as well. So they may come with um, throughput, and we say, well, while we're here, we might as well take a look at some, some other issues, say the border gate, for example. We may look at um, in fact, we're doing this in class at the moment, is going to take a look at uh, different framed glasses uh, and how that may impact face recognition and, and the like. Also, sample size. How many shall we test and collect? Um, normally, our tests run between 100 and 200 people, um, but we've done larger ones than that. Um, and, of course, the time frame as well. It's always uh, fairly uh, dependent on lots of things. So how do you, different types of tests, there are scenario tests, that's where we create a scenario where we have people do something. Um, so that would be a equivalent to doing a financial transaction in the lab, downstairs in the data collection area, where we step you through the process and then you go off and do it yourself, but it's in a fairly controlled environment. Um, the technology one where we'd be just looking at the algorithm performance, and the operational one would be, here's your phone, off you go, we'll see you in 30 days and have fun and uh, causes lots of challenges later on with the data. So, but that, the operational one's much more exciting because we can actually get um, real-world data from that. Um, and we use the scenario test really in our, in our lab for um, some level of pilot testing before we do send it out. So I'm just going to flip through these ones quickly um, and take a look at um, some testing that we've got currently going on. We typically do... Um, Three, main, three to four main types of testing. Um, one is uh, test protocol development and getting human subject testing done. Um, we've done a number of single modalities, so as people will come in and just do a fingerprint and then leave. Um, we've done an aging study where we had people come in over a period of four years. Uh, they would come in um, over separated by a period of time. That's a big challenge, obviously, because um, well, we have a fairly transient population here, right? So um, getting people to stay for four years um, is difficult. So a lot of those participants um, weren't students. But um, we're interested in aging because that's part of the performance of a biometric system. Your passports, for example, are valid for anyone know how many years? Do you look different? Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, 
So there's lots of challenges with that, right? So how do we test the performance of a, a system like that when, when your passport, which is maybe your enrolled image and the image that you're presenting to the border patrol or border officer may be a lot different. We might have added some weight, all right? So don't go looking for this presentation six years ago, all right? We might have shrunk, not likely in this, in this case. Um, we might have lost some hair, also likely, but the camera angle's uh, good for me at the moment. Um, so we, we do change, and that's over six, six hard long years at Purdue, right? So, so those are some of the challenges. Um, and uh, that's exciting for us, but it's very difficult to get that longitudinal data, all right? Very difficult indeed. Um, and so we've, we've done some work in, in that. That's interesting just to see how people just generally age. If you go to YouTube, for example, just to get a, a good idea, you can do some searches for people that take photographs every day of themselves for, you know, four or five years. And it's quite interesting just to see how, how, they, how they change um, over time. Um, Usability testing, obviously, we've talked about this. Um, we do surveys as well. We like to know what the state of... Um, state of people's perceptions are of biometrics and sometimes they change dramatically especially after big news events um, that the then start talking about access control and the like and and uh, so we do we do uh, fairly regular surveys to understand kind of the the focus underlying things really haven't changed um, I still think there's the same amount of people that are interested now it's started to become more pervasive people are paying a little bit more attention to it um, but it's normally where it actually benefits themselves in a process. So very excited about border gates and the like because it gets me through that. And it's a, it's a tangible thing. Dump my fingerprints down, off I go, I can get through. Phone, maybe not so much. There's not a lot of time difference really between the pattern, if you're, especially if you're proficient, and the swipe, right? So um, that's, that's kind of interesting where people see there's a benefit to themselves. They, they typically get more excited about it. And we do focus groups as well. We've just done a, a focus group um, with um, a, a mobile device app. And that's quite interesting to listen to how people would improve things um, and, and uh, the guidance that the companies or the app developers can provide back to the users to make it a little bit easier. So we would get information back um, I like I like to hold my phone in one hand and I don't want to do anything else with with it so that's something that we would get back from a focus group which is really valuable for for us to try and figure out how to how to make that work if we fix that problem maybe you might use it right I don't know so so the usability testing that we looked at this is a model developed by one of my PhD students a while back but it's this intersection between users environment and the algorithm and we call this um, HBSI testing or human biometric sensor interaction testing and we're interested in this because it provides us with um, kind of three legs of this stool where we understand what the users are doing but in the context of the environment and then that also helps us understand why the performance of the algorithm is the way it is and of course we do have lots of challenges right with environmental conditions as well as noise and and the like and physical behavioral and social factors as well and so we call this the human biometric sensor interaction it's in the middle of all of those um, uh, venn diagrams there the biometric system the sensor the human with ergonomics usability and sample quality and what we're trying to do is maximize performance if we get that right most of the other things will fall into place so this is the first model 
um, that we have developed. We're normally looking about how people interact with the model. I want to show you a video, so I'm just going to um, skip through these a little bit. But how people interact with the model. Um, and um, we're going to show you an example of a border gate um, and why they are so complicated from the perspective of biometric testing and, and provides us with a lot of opportunities. So I'm going to play a video. I don't know how it works out on the TV, but... You can have your e-passport checked ways. Manually, or choose the automated smart gate option. Using smart gates simply, find a kiosk in the concourse or a passport control. Place your e-passport into the reader. Now use the touch screen to answer the standard declarations. You'll now be issued with a smart gate ticket, which you'll need to hang on to for step two. Retrieve your e-passport and off you go. Walk up to the gate. Take off your headwear and sunglasses and put your smart gate ticket in here. Now look ahead to have your photo taken. SmartGate's camera is now comparing an image of my face against my e-passport photo. All done. Now grab your ticket and off you go to the baggage hall. So there's a very easy way of interacting with the device, but it's fraught with complications. And we've had some video, we've got some, we had some live uh, feed from an airport where we sat down and we coded all of the different issues that related to an e-border gate. And nine times out of ten, they weren't biometric issues. They were issues with the token, issues with just usability, complicated, um, and again, people being tired. So the token is the passport. What kind of problems do you think we saw? Pictures were, you know, older pictures, which would affect performance later on, maybe, yes. But maybe with the usability of that device, uh, passport. Hold that thought, right? Yeah, playing around with it while it's in the scanner doesn't work too well. Yes, what else? If the pages are bent or old or worn. Yes. Angle of the pictures. Yes. Anything else? Picture quality, yeah, sometimes it's a challenge. You've got a tag underneath which will have a better image. People putting it up the wrong way. Okay. How many times do you swipe that, uh, your barcode, uh, your, your MagStripe card, and sometimes it's the right way, and you know, every so often the, uh, CVS, I think, has it upside down or something that's weird. So, you know, people get used to, again, using it, and then it doesn't work or whatever. I had a passport. I actually went through this process uh, over the summer when I went to Australia. And um, my e-reader didn't work because I like to put my passport in my back pocket and, ca and walk around with it all the time and then sit on it. And um, that didn't work out too well. So I thought, yes, I can go through this biometric gate. I can tell everyone about it when I get back to Purdue and I'll use it as a case study. I thwarted it the first thing because I'm an idiot. Um, <laughs> and it didn't work. Um, People, and, uh, people traveling as well. If you travel in pairs, someone will look at, typically someone may look after the passport and they will issue you the wrong passport. So husband and wife will travel, uh, the husband will get the wife's passport and the process will work, but the picture won't work because they're incorrect. Um, and so this is a challenge as well. So again, it's not necessarily the biometric system, but when we're measuring throughput of an e-gate, we have to think about these things. Um, so it's really invaluable for us again to watch what goes on in, in an e-gate. And then that, that determines how you measure throughput. 
Well, that particular gate was separated by two. You did the first initial uh, interaction with the gate. You got a ticket, then you went to the next gate. Some are all built in one, and, um, and uh, so that might slow the entire process down. You may have to have some more about that. So obviously understanding throughput is a key. Um, it's, it's fairly small here, but um, what we're after here is in, because we had to look at usability of a border gate, we had to in, therefore include which something that really wasn't the biometric, which was the token and the passport. passport. Because if we wanted to look at the success of the, the border gate, we then had to go ahead and take a look at the token. Because you then have to sit back and think, whose fault is it? Right? If someone is putting uh, a border gate in and they've got some service level agreements that the border needs to operate at this performance, and I put the wrong person's passport down, well, of course, the system should rightly reject, but that'll delay throughput. So we've got to now then go back and figure out how we train people to, to use the right passport or, or interact with that properly. So that's something that we saw. So we've developed this uh, additional model to take into account some of the challenges that I talked to about earlier on. And, and basically, it starts off with a, with a token or, or PIN or password system. Um, if you present it incorrectly, then it's a token presentation error rather than a biometric error. And again, what we're trying to do is to slice these errors down so we can start to fix the problem specifically, as opposed to just saying the biometric system doesn't work. We can now segment this out and go, maybe you need to do a little bit of work on telling people how to put the token in to the system. Um, and so it's either that, uh, an error, presentation error, or a read error like me. I think I got it in the right, this would be admitting too much. I think I put it in the right way the first time, and then it didn't read. Then I questioned myself, and then I thought, well, no, I can be that stupid. But I did question myself. And then I realized that it was the token read error. And then I, I couldn't do it anymore. I had to join the line. Um, sometimes the, the, the system may be read correctly, but I'm making an incorrect claim. I'm claiming to be someone I'm not, especially if I have the wrong passport. And so these are the things that we start to build up for when we're looking at um, models related to uh, border control and border gates. Um, and then um, we go through with the authentication system, and then we jump into the biometric. So how do we test this in a lab environment? So this is quite complicated. Well, we're building a set of borders down in our basement lab which is kind of cool. We're building kind of something that looks like this um, that has all of the functions associated with it so we can now build the system as opposed to just simply building the iris camera or the fingerprint sensor so we can take a look at the entire process. This is obviously a manual um, setup where you go through uh, an immigration officer um, procedure, but that's also useful for many people to see what the usability of those devices are and the like. So we're building one of these a two-booth scenario, so um, where they're back-to-back, -back. Um, and we're going to be doing some tests on that. We're going to look at other technologies to insert into that um, border post, um, such as Iris. We have an Iris border uh, gate solution. A fingerprint sensors, obviously, document readers as well to make sure they're right. So basically, um, when you come into the lab in about November time, we'll have something that looks like that in there, so it'll be pretty cool. We're also using the Connect to look at people's usability um, as they come into the thing, whether they look at the device properly, what the feedback is from an iris camera. Sometimes the, the iris camera may say, for example, open your eyes wide, and sometimes people straighten their back completely and, and do lots of other things based upon this feedback. So we're looking at feedback. 
We're trying to automate the system so that the so the burden is not necessarily on the immigration officer to keep on asking the same things. So we want to try and help them in their process so they can be more efficient. Um, and we're invent we're bringing along some um, novel performance metrics which we invented in house, um, such as stability. Uh, score index, which is measures how stable you are. So if you've got bad quality prints and you're always going to come with bad quality prints, then we've got an index that kind of predicts, well, don't stand here all day and try and get the best quality prints because they're lousy and we can move on. Well, they're good and you're not trying hard enough, right? So um, don't, some of those factors are being brought in. So that's uh, something that we're doing um, right now, which uh, should be pretty cool. We're also looking at um, mobile devices. Um, while testing, illumination, noise. Um, noise is obviously a factor. Wind and all of that stuff. It's going to get miserably cold here soon, probably. So uh, that's going to change the dynamics as if it was a nice sunny day. Um, and we're also taking a look at signature, um, palm, and multi-factor. And we do some work with um, University of Kent in Canterbury as well on signature side. Um, so we've got quite a lot of um, tests and evaluations uh, that are ongoing. I think that concludes my speech, but if you get any questions, um, um, I'll be happy to stick around for a couple of minutes, and then I'm going to give one or two of them quizzes because they're in my class afterwards. Um, so you better have been paying attention. Um, and uh, I'll be happy to answer questions. If you want to come to the, the lab, you can do so. There's, we've got it kind of set up today. Um, but if you want to come when it's really working, uh, just send me an email. And I'll send Joel an email, and we'll take you down there. So that's what I have today. If you have any questions, uh, feel free to ask them. Okay, good. You can go. <laughs>